0: Each morning, we preen before the mirror, concerned with how our clothes hang, whether our hair holds enough curl to last the day, if we look good enough to pass the world's inspection. Only grief dulls the image, reminds us it's really the heart that matters. A lesson Samuel learned anew when, lost in grief over Saul, the Lord led Samuel to the home of Jesse, where Israel's next king resided. His height unimpressive, his wardrobe unrefined. God's mirror reflected what mattered most, David's heart and once god's light rested on him like a crown david was equipped as are all children of light to expose those works which thrive in the dark to discover what pleases the lord and to do it reading from ephesians 5:8 through 14 for you were once darkness but you are, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ
1: will shine on you. Wake up and remind myself we belong to a denomination, that that we are part of a larger family. There are times that we are such an intense family among ourselves. That we forget that there's a larger community that we identify with, the Brethren in Christ. And uh, so this morning it's my privilege to welcome uh, Alan Robinson. And Alan, if you'd just come forward. I have, uh, uh, Alan's been in this job only a few months, but I have already come to uh, deeply respect his vision and uh, to trust him as a leader. Uh, he'll be telling us more about the the brethren in Christ and and how we hear the call of God through uh, our wider uh, commitments and uh, family of faith. But uh, Alan, so great to have you with us. Thank may you. the Lord speak with you, uh, speak to you, and through you with power. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, come now and anoint your brother. Uh, may his words be your words. Uh, may. Uh, your spirit be his spirit. May your greater glory be that which is his supreme concern as he brings the word to us mm-hmm. through Christ. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you, Jeff. Uh, it is a, a real privilege and a joy to be with you here at Madison Street Church. Uh, let me begin with a little introduction to myself that might be helpful and then we'll uh, come to the scriptures and our, some reflections for this morning. First of all, uh, you may be hearing a bit of an accent that's not from around here. Uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland is my place of birth. I haven't lived in Northern Ireland since 1984, so I've been out of Northern Ireland for 30 years, but uh, for the last 15 years, been here in the US, and then the 15 years between leaving Northern Ireland and coming to the US, traveled around Britain, uh, Wales, England, Scotland, lived in all of those countries and uh, was in various ministry, church ministry assignments. Uh, came to the United States and had never heard of this family that we call the Brethren in Christ. Uh, I wasn't brought up Brethren in Christ. Uh, no Brethren in Christ churches or groups exist, or at that time at least, existed in Britain. We now have some groups in, in the London area, but at that time when I was there, uh, weren't any. And so I came to the US, I was part of the Church of the Nazarene at that time. And it's a long story that I won't bore you with, but I discovered this family called the Brethren in Christ. And uh, it was was interesting how that happened. I, I was looking for a church in which to serve and a church, a congregation in Pennsylvania, Carlisle, Pennsylvania was advertising on the internet for a pastor. Um, and it's easy to send resumes through email. You can, you can send a whole bunch in a day. And, and I did. <laughs> and I got a response back from a number, and, and one of those was from this person who was called a bishop. And uh, he was the bishop of one of the conferences in Pennsylvania, and he was overseeing the search for this particular church in Carlisle and we began to email and and one thing led to another and I became the pastor of that church. And when I was on my interviewing weekend at that particular congregation, the bishop whose name was Ray, Ray Hawk, he took me to the denominational offices which are not too far from the city of Carlisle where we live. So I went from Carlisle to Grantham, it's about a 20 minute drive, and he introduced me to a person whose title was moderator which is an interesting title that we had. We don't have that any longer in the denomination, but he introduced me to the moderator, Warren Hoffman. And as I met and talked with Warren, uh, I said to him, my sense of call is to this specific congregation, this Carlisle congregation. Uh, I'm not feeling any call to the brethren in Christ. I'm not wanting to be I shouldn't say I'm not wanting. I wasn't intending to become a part of a denomination. It's here's a congregation. They're looking for a pastor. I'm a pastor looking for a congregation. This seems like a good thing. And, and so I, I said to him, my, my sense of call is, is to a specific setting, not to a, a family, a denomination. And he smiled graciously and said, uh, well, you know, my, part of my job will be to change your mind. <laughs> and I don't know if those four, 14 years that I served at Carlisle uh, changed my mind, but now I find myself in the role that he had. I, I've become the, what we now call the national director, not we changed titles, not moderator, but national director. And I, I smile back at that day and I, I think he did it. I think he changed my mind, but it wasn't him who changed my mind. It was the family. I've come to love and appreciate this group, this denomination that we call the Brethren in Christ. And in the United States, we have about 250 something churches and about 25 to 30,000 people who will worship in a Brethren in Christ church today. That's roughly our size. So 250, 255, 253, I'm not really sure how many there are in terms of congregations and 25 to 30,000 people. That's the family. It was a family that I'd never heard of, knew nothing about, but I've come to love and appreciate, as one person described it, as God's best kept secret. (laughs) That's who we are as a family. And I said that my sense of call, that word is one that Jeff, when he emailed me some time ago, he said, we're in this series, and he told me yesterday about this cool thing that's going on with these bicycles, and, and I guess it's this process of restoration and renewal, Uh, and he said our our theme for the day and the readings will be on this, this word call. So I told you that story because my sense of call at that time, 14, 15 years ago, was very specific that God is calling me, I felt, to a particular ministry setting, a congregation. But I stand before you today to say that my theology of call has developed and changed even these last 14, 15 years. I'm not sure that God is as specific as I thought He once was, or as I once thought He was, to the sense of I want you to be there, that church, that career, that setting. I'm not sure. Now, I wanna tell you a little bit about how my theology of call has developed. I don't know that I'm right. It's just, it's, it's where I am on the journey. Let me give you my, my broad context for how we know God. So let me give you a big picture and then I'll talk about this concept of call. One of the opportunities that I sometimes have is to teach a course at Messiah College. We live fairly close to Messiah College and Messiah College is a college that is a, in a covenant relationship with the Brethren in Christ Church and I teach a course, Introduction to Theology, and one of the things that I start with on that very first day is I'll put on a board and I'll I'll write God, here is God, and then at the bottom of the board, I'll say us, here is us, and draw a line under God and draw a line above us, and so there's this huge chasm. And I'll say to the students, my belief is that God has chosen to reveal himself to us, and so I'll draw arrows, from God to us. So God has chosen to reveal himself to us. and We talk about this concept of revelation. How does God reveal himself? God reveals himself in his creation. We talk about that as a revelation of God. God reveals himself in scripture. We'll talk about scripture as a means of revelation. God reveals himself in the person of his son, who for us is the primary revelation of God. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the primary revelation of God in our world is the person of Jesus. And so we'll talk about God revealing himself and I'll draw these arrows that come from God to us. And then I'll say, so if God reveals himself to us, my question for you is, how close to a perfect understanding of God can we get? So I'll start to draw arrows coming up from us to God. How close to an understanding of God a perfect understanding of God can we get? How far do the arrows go up to close this chasm? And I'll generally ask the students, give me a percentage, if 100% is we perfectly know God, give me a percentage of how close can we get? And some people will shout out random numbers. The general consensus is The general consensus, and I've done this class after class with groups of undergraduate students, the general consensus is we don't even get halfway. We don't even get halfway. That even though God has revealed himself to us, but God is other, God is God and we are human and he is other and we are never gonna perfectly comprehend or understand him in this world. So he reveals himself and our knowledge of God grows, but if if we get halfway in this earthly life, that might be as good as it gets. So with that understanding, this concept of call is somewhere in there. I don't know if my concept of call is even halfway to what it is. When I read through the scriptures, I've become convinced that God's first call to us, and I believe it's a universal call, is a call to know who we are. We are his children. God created us, humans, in his image and his likeness. And our first call from God is to know who we are. And it's not just you and me, and it's not just those who are in church this morning, and it's not just those who will worship, it's not just those who are a part of our family. As we look around this world, every single human being, the image and likeness of God, the image and likeness of God, the image and likeness of God. And we need to hear the call of God to know who we are. We are his children, his creation. I don't know fully, completely, maybe not even 50% of what does it mean to be in the image and likeness of God. None of us can fully comprehend those words in Genesis 1:26 through 29 where God said, let us make man in our image and in the image and likeness of God He created us. We don't know what that means. Theologians sometimes say, well, it means we're spiritual beings, or we have a capacity for consciousness and rational thought that the rest of creation doesn't have. We've got all kinds of suggestions as to what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. And I don't know which one is right. And perhaps the right one is, is part of all of them added together. I actually think that part of being in the image and likeness of God is to in some way have this quality that we often call sovereignty. God is sovereign in our world, and if we're in His image and His likeness, God has in some way delegated a portion of His character, His sovereignty to us. We call that free will. It's interesting that one of the very first things that happens in the creation story is God says, okay, here's a test. Here's all of this good stuff. And you are free to take anything and everything you want of the good stuff. Here's the bad thing. Don't touch that. And he gives us this delegated sovereignty to determine our own path through life. To make choices. And in my younger daughter Crystal who's here, I have two daughters, they will know that as a parent I often said to them, you make your choices and then your choices make you. Um, And God says to these his creation, I give to you the opportunity to chart your path through life. Make a choice choose to love and obey and follow me, choose to enjoy the good things of life that I have provided in abundance, or choose another path. And just know if you choose that path, there are consequences to that. And of course, we chose collectively, the human race chose the the wrong path. And so part of this being in the image and likeness of God for me it can mean that I'm spiritual. It can mean that I'm rational. It can mean all of those things. But in some way for me, it, it's I have this little bit of sovereignty, freedom to choose the path through life. And there are boundaries on that. There are limits on that. I can't choose the things that God doesn't put in the path for me to choose. It's not a boundless, limitless sovereignty, but within the ultimate sovereignty of God, within the lines that God puts in our lives, he says, here you go, make a choice. And so I've come to believe that the first call of God in my life is to know who I am, his child through creation, and then his child through redemption and reconciliation. God says, just come and know me and allow me to know you and and I want to be your father and I want you to be my son, my child. And I'm given this opportunity and you're given that opportunity to respond because you're sovereign in some small way in your life and God calls you and he beckons you and the call is to relationship and it's to know him and to know who you are. So my, my theology of call is rooted in this concept of hear the call of God to know who you are. I think that building upon that, God calls us not only to know who we are, but to know how we ought to be. How we ought to be as we live our lives. Not just who we are through creation and redemption, but how we're supposed to be as we live these lives that God has entrusted to us. How are you supposed to be? How are you supposed to live? What is life supposed to look like? And I'm not meaning the details of career or vocation. I'm not meaning should I as a pastor go to this church or this church or this church. I'm talking about me as a person. When I hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this whole concept of transformation that God says, you are my children through creation. You are my children because I have bought you back through redemption, but you're still molded and shaped according to this world in which you live. And now I'm calling you to be transformed. I don't know, has this been the bike you guys have been rebuilding? I don't know what it looked like when it started. I'm assuming not as good as it looks now. (laughs) Would that be a fair assumption? Okay. It actually looks quite cool now. Who gets it when it's done, by the way? <laughs> I saw a number of different hands there. <laughs> but from the back, you got chosen. You got pointed to. Oh, Apparently. I thought, I, thought we were, I thought we were selling that one. I, so I don't know what it started. I don't know what it started like, but it's, it's under this process of being renewed. It's a great analogy where this particular analogy breaks down. Can I say that without you getting mad at me? The bike made no choice. It's a forced transformation on the bike. You're doing it to the bike. God doesn't do that to us. God invites us to be transformed. God invites us to allow him to renew us and restore us. God invites us to surrender, like one of the songs that we talked about, about having no other God, no other allegiance, and fully surrendering to him. John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. A perpetual idol factory. I don't know about your heart, but that's true for mine. I can make idols of all kinds of things in my life. My heart is a perpetual idol factory. God calls us to fully surrender and allow him to renew and restore us, bit by bit, piece by piece. Not to be conformed to the world with its systems and its values and its perspectives, but to be transformed. And so I think God calls us to know who we are and I think God calls us to know how we should live in this world as people who are Revealing the heart and the character of Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he was describing his time as a church planter with them. And as he reflected back, he said this, verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 1, You imitated us and the Lord, That's a fascinating connection because the church in Thessalonica had never seen Jesus or known Jesus. They weren't around when Jesus was around. But Paul makes this linking that as the people in the church had followed him and imitated him, and that's the word he uses, you imitated me and the Lord. So Paul sees himself in some way as this representative of Jesus that he is called to live a life that is a witness and a testimony and an example, and is that people see and follow him, they're actually seeing and following the example of Jesus himself. Now that's a little scary, because people don't see Jesus in this world. People don't, the people you know, the people I know, they don't see Jesus and they're never gonna see Jesus, they see us. And the call of the gospel is to be his representatives, to be his image, to be his likeness, to be the people that others will look to and say, when I saw him, when I saw her, when I saw them, I saw Jesus. And when I followed them, I actually followed Jesus. Now we don't want to hold that kind of position with any arrogance or ego or pride, but we, should hold it with a sense of responsibility and care. And then Paul says, when you followed us and imitated us, you imitated the Lord. And then he says in the next verse, and then you, the church in Thessalonica, you became the model that others will follow too. And so it's this handing on from person to person and generation to generation, this concept of we are called to represent the King, we are his ambassadors. And so in 2nd Corinthians we read these words that you are my ambassadors. And so we're called to know who we are, we're called to know how we're to be and then I think somewhere along the way there's this concept of what are you gonna do with your life? You see for me my whole concept of call growing up in Northern Ireland in the church that I attended They constantly, constantly, constantly told us, God has a plan for your life where you're going to be something for God. And this career, this calling, this job, whatever it's going to be, find out what God wants. And so my whole Christian formation years, all the way through my teens, I came into a relationship with Jesus when I was 10 years old through the ministry of a a specific congregation and I joined that church. And all the way through my teenage years, I was in that church. And so I absorbed their views and values and concepts. That was my entire Christian experience. And so they constantly told us as young people, find the career, the profession, the calling, the specific details that God wants for you. That's not how I see it any longer. And it took me quite a while for me to wrestle through that. Today, I think that we heard, we read the story in Samuel of the calling of David. And you can read a whole lot of other specific callings in Scripture where God says, this is the job I have for you, this is the job I have for you. But one of the most significant revelations in my own life and in the New Testament was to discover, or or not to discover, but to reflect upon the fact that the vast majority of Jesus' followers in the New Testament, there is no documentation of them ever getting a specific call to a profession. There are hundreds and thousands of people who loved and followed Jesus, who day by day by day went back to their job, their career, their home, their family, no sense of dramatic, I want you to leave this and do that, I want you to leave here and go there. It was just love me and serve me where you are. And and my whole theology of call has transitioned in my own life, and it may change again, because don't forget I'm only not even halfway there, so there's plenty of room to grow and change. But I'm not sure that God has these specific details mapped out of our lives where he says, I want Alan to be the pastor of this church and Joe to be the carpenter in this firm and and Mary to be the artist in this store. I'm not sure. And if you are sure, good for you. That's that's (laughs) not where I am. What I am sure about as much as you can be with less than 50% certainty (laughs) is that Jesus says, love me and serve me, love me and serve me. And whether you're the pastor or whether you're the carpenter or whether you're the artist or whether you're the musician or whether you're a stay at home mom or dad or whether you're retired, God says, I'm not really concerned with that detail. What I am concerned about is love me and serve me. Where you are. The book that changed my theology of call the most, the one that really caused me to wrestle with what I believed and to come to a different view was not not the Bible or a text in the Bible. It's a book called Callings. It's a big, thick compendium of the writings and reflections of Christians over the last 2,000 years. It's a textbook that I came across for a college course that I was asked to to teach. The course was called Introduction to Christian Ministry and part of the course was to have the students reflect on this concept of call. So I came across this book somewhere, it's called Callings, and the, the author simply puts together 30, 40, 50, I forget how many, following a historic timeline. So from the earliest uh, writings that he could come across. He just puts them in there, and it was fascinating to read through those and read how the the church, the Christian church, has changed and developed his whole concept of call. And for me to discover that this way that I think of call, call to be this profession or this pastor in this setting, is so relatively new in the Christian church. It's only been around for a hundred and something years which is not a whole lot out of 2000. To discover that what I was taught was normal, what I was taught was just the way things are, is so new in Christian thought that we're the odd ones. That the rest of our brothers and sisters over 2000 years look at us, and I'm speaking of course metaphorically here, look at us and say, what, really? And to to read the reflections of some really good writers who would say "This, this way in which the Western church, us, the Western modern church talks about call is only possible because of the Industrial Revolution because of the stratification of society, because we now have all kinds of careers that you can choose to be a banker, or you can choose to be a teacher, or you can choose to be this, or you can choose to be that. When you think that the reality of Christians in the world today, they can't even make that choice because they live in societies where, where they struggle sometimes to put food on their table today, let alone choose which career or college they're gonna to go to. And that the majority of Christians over history, not just those alive today, but the majority of Christians over history, the the choices that we think are the the big ones in our lives, the majority of Christians have never, ever, ever, ever had to wrestle with. And some authors said, how arrogant of us modern Westerners to generalize the luxuries that we have been given and think that that's normal. Now, you might disagree with me. That's okay. Sometimes I disagree with myself. (laughs) Because we're all on this journey. But love me and serve me. Hear the call of God. Love me and serve me. And however that develops in your life and whatever that looks like, and and whether, like me, at times in my life, I've been absolutely convinced that God said, Alan, I want you to do that specific thing, that calling, that church, right now, right there, whether that's part of your life or not. Hear the words of Jesus that I think are the constants. Regardless of who you are and where you live and, and what you do, love me and serve me know who you are, you're my child, know how I want you to be as a person who's fully devoted and fully committed and fully surrendered to Jesus. And out of that, just love me and serve me, regardless of the specific location. I'm glad you're a part of our great family. You're a cool group of people. And it's a real privilege to be here across the Brethren in Christ Church today here in the U.S. and we now call it, the official title is with the Brethren Christ Church U.S. Up to two years ago the U.S. and Canada were combined and now we've reorganized into two general conferences or two separate entities. So it's BIC Church U.S., BIC Church Canada, there's a BIC Church Zambia, a BIC Church Zimbabwe, a BIC Church India, a BIC Church Japan. All across this world there are brothers and sisters today who are part of this incredible extended family. We are the brothers and sisters, and I apologize for the, the language, the archaic language with which we still describe ourselves, but we are this family and we're just a little part of this global family of Jesus followers. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for in this community, in, in this place that God has you, for being his hands and his feet, his voice, his presence and I pray that God will bless you in your ministry and service together. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Thank you for the witness to the power of the gospel that comes from this place. And I do pray that every life here, every family here will truly know the transforming power and presence of the risen Savior. And may your light and your life radiate from this place into this community. May others find Jesus here. His name be glorified. Amen.